This is All the Cool Parts number 36. Welcome to All the Cool Parts, number 36, and welcome to something I'm trying, a little bit different here, um, a new series that I'm going to call Understanding Opera, and when I started out in classical music, opera was probably the hardest genre for me to get into and to understand, and I spent a lot of time when I was a student trying to understand it, you know, trying to, to listen to opera and uh, making a big effort to understand it better. This episode, what I'm going to do is represent, well, present to you for the first time an interview I did on my other podcast, which is called the 1000 Recordings Podcast, that I did with mezzo-soprano Julie Nasralla. And when that interview starts, you'll hear all about Julie. And she sings the role of Carmen. That's her signature role and she has sung the role of Carmen all over the world hundreds of times and uh, the interview was so good and provided such a special insight into this opera that she is just ingrained in in her bones at this point um, that I thought it would be a shame not to share it with the, all the cool parts audience. And hopefully in the future, I can I can do this with other opera singers, invite them onto the show to talk about their signature roles in whatever opera that comes from. And uh, hopefully it will be as insightful and entertaining as the, uh, the conversation with Julie. The other voice you're going to hear is my co-host on the 1000 Recordings podcast, uh, Mitchell Davis. So I'll just turn it over to that, you know, uh, really join us in learning about Bizet's Carmen with Julie Nasralla, myself, and Mitchell Davis. Hi, Tony. Hi, Mitch. It's <laughs> hey, so Julie. great of you guys to have me on your show, man. I am just thrilled. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, thanks right. for coming on. We're, we're just super thrilled to have you and um julie is uh accomplished opera singer has performed the role of carmen uh, i don't know how many times do you even know how many times i don't know yeah how many times. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in me it's just i am a walking little carmenite on the streets of ottawa canada so <laughs> i feel like i'm always embodied by this yeah. Lovely young gypsy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you you've always had that spirit of Carmen, and you're like it. You're like a very nice Carmen. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen my my bitier side, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's I good. have, Julie. <laughs> oh, actually, you have. Yeah. Oh my gosh, but that's a for a whole other show. Right? Yeah. Uh, and or uh, maybe not. Yeah. So, so yeah, Julie has obviously. Uh, a much deeper insight into this opera than uh, than Mitchell and I will ever have. And uh, we are super excited to talk about the opera with her. And in addition to your 
your big singing career. Um, you are host of Tempo, which is the preeminent uh, classical music show on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting uh C. What does C stand for? Corporation. Corporation. Oh, corporation. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the, basically the Canadian NPR. It's the public broadcaster. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we were just kind of talking about this because uh, we know each other because we used to live in Bloomington, Indiana. Yes. We both used to live there and uh, we both used to live in the same sort of apartment complex <laughs> thing. Right. Yes. And, and, um, uh, since then, you know, um, I have not talked to you since you got this gig, this radio gig. No, it's been ages. Yeah. Yeah. And you were sort of telling me a little bit about how you got this thing. Can you sort of repeat that story? Because it's it's amazing. Sure. I was. Well, it still amazes me. I, I've, this is my fourth season with the CBC. And uh, essentially what happened was I was headhunted for it. It was something that came right out of the blue. I was in New York City checking my email in a cyber cafe and I received an email from a Canadian headhunter and I thought it was spam. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah I, almost, I trashed it. And then as I trashed it, I thought, you know what, maybe I should take a second look at that when I get home because it was so out of left field, I couldn't conceive that anyone was would be writing to me about anything like that. So I. I got home from New York City, and I and sure enough, I I took it out of my email trash, and I, I gave it a good second look, and I just thought, this is this is what is this, you know? So I phone <laughs> I phoned the headhunter, and uh, I wanted to find out what was going on, and something just happened when I spoke to him. Some kind of switch went on that I never knew I had. And all of a sudden, I was just talking to him about music and all these different genres and this and that and the other thing. And uh, but the big the big obstacle was that I had just won a, a big grant from the um, Canada Council for the Arts here, and I was heading off to Vienna and Paris. And so uh, the headhunter said, you know, you go ahead to Vienna, and uh, we'll be in touch. And you know, two days later, they called me at home again saying, look, the CBC is interested. And I said, OK, well, I'm actually now on a plane, getting on a plane in four hours to Vienna. They said, oh, keep going. You keep, you keep going to Vienna. That's all right. You know, <laughs> and I got I got to Vienna and I was literally putting my taking my clothes out of the suitcase, putting them in a closet. And the phone rang in my Vienna flat. And I just thought, well, who is that? There are only two people in the world that have this number, my mom and the CBC, and it was the CBC. I just could not believe it. They, there was this somewhat of a relentless pursuit, and, and I said, well, what do you want me to do? They said, write a radio show, and I said, oh, okay, <laughs> not having a clue about what that meant. Yeah, um, about a month later, they flew me back from Vienna. I did a screen test and a radio test, I guess. I thought my, my job had been done. You know, I did my best to write my show as, as how I conceived maybe a radio show should go. And I was ready to, to get back on a plane. I, I was like, I'm buying a pair of shoes and I'm going back to Vienna. And I was shortlisted. They, they, they made me change my flight again. And I did a second radio 
test with them. And then I flew back. And a month later, they offered me the job. I was completely gobsmacked. I just couldn't believe it. I asked them if they were serious. And they said, oh, yeah. <laughs> then I said, what should I do? They said, go out and have a drink. So I, I went out in Vienna all by myself. <laughs> I just I just went out in Vienna. I went to this Mexican restaurant and I had a margarita. I sort of raised a glass and went, well, here's to not knowing what the hell comes next. Like, <laughs> wow. And then I flew I flew home on Canada Day, July 1st, and four days later, five days later, I was in a broadcast center in Toronto, and my life hasn't been the same ever since. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Wow, wow. That it's, one, is crazy. it's one for the, the books, right? It's one for the autobiography. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Vin, <laughs> that just brought up one question. How's the Mexican food in Vienna? You know what? It was really good. <laughs> The restaurants there are really good. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Well, I know. So, so now you do the show. It's it's a four hour broadcast. Yeah, live um, national. Yeah, four hours live. Yeah. So that's that's the thing that you know, Mitch <laughs> and I can can screw up and you know talk and talk and talk and and and, and do whatever you know and take a break and uh, we can fix it all and post and you know it. You're just you got to do it right there, you know? Yeah, you got to do it right there. It's, yeah. a, it's a really, really high pressure job. There is a lot of technique involved in it. And it's um, really an interesting, there's a very interesting depth to it all because it's a little bit like having a, a career in music or becoming a virtuoso with your instrument. It's, it's a metaphor for life. It's how much to push forward, how much to not push, how much to say, how much to not say. Um, how much to practice, knowing when to let go. There are all these really sort of heavy concepts, like heavy human concepts behind being a good host. Right. So you know, what you're doing is you're hosting a party. You're not really, you're not really there to, at, you know, you're not, a, you're not a class and you're not a concert hall. You're not a lecture hall, but you have to have tiny snippets of things human and intellectual and heart filled and soul filled and brain filled that sort of feed, um, you know, essentially millions of people. I think we reach something like a million people a week, a little over a million people a week. So it's, um, it's huge, but it's all, it all resides in those really basic human elements, the things that people want to want to hear and want to know about. Basically most people just want to be moved in life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think yeah. that your experiences on the stage and, you know, uh, producing these dramatic works and trying to get all those human, uh, you know, human Elements, qualities yeah. that, that you were talking about across to an audience would really transfer well to this job, I think. I think they do. Yeah, it's they're very they're very in a lot of ways. It's very similar to performing on the stage. And uh, it it has it, it ha- has actually made me a better musician, and it's made me a better singer. And uh, I, I mean, I listen to classical music four hours a day. It's and it's it works this really deep magic on my singing life, because I'm not listening to a lot of singers. I'm listening to Beethoven, and I'm listening to Mozart, and I'm listening to Sibelius and Bartok, I mean, these really heavy cats who had yeah. really heavy philosophies in their life. So it's, it's, it's really feeding my performance life really in a big, deep way. So 
it just it's just awesome my whole life is just consumed by music 24 7 yeah well man congratulations <laughs> on it Thanks, man, I, I couldn't imagine a more awesome person to get that kind of opportunity so i'm, I'm just so thrilled you're awesome you. and sweet to say that thank you very much well yeah yeah man um so <laughs> so let's get on to carmen so let's do it yeah so what we're going to do is we're going to move this to the top of the show um to accommodate our guest and uh we're going to start with like i said georges bizet's opera carmen uh the recording that we're talking about here that's in the book is uh, uh victoria de los angeles uh yes. who's playing carmen uh, with the french radio orchestra conducted by sir thomas beecham released in 1960. Uh, this must be one of those seminal recordings of this piece, you know, that kind of everybody knows. Yeah. It's uh, hot. Yeah. 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 And um, a little bit about Bizet. Um, he was born in 1838, died in 1875, only at age 36. I mean, this guy, and what a tragic, mm-hmm. uh, what a tragic end to this dude. I mean, we're, we're going to get into it, but. Um, you know, early on, he was a really successful student, you know, came up through the whole French system, which at that time, uh, even into the 20th century, was just this unbelievably rigorous. It was like, you know, military basic training or something. It was it was unbelievably rigorous. And uh, he won the Prix de Rome, which was a huge prize, huge deal. Hi, cat. Uh, our, <laughs> my, my cat likes to uh, come on the show uh, every once in a while. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, he, he won this prize. Um, I, I never knew how what big of a deal this thing was, the Prix de Rome, until a few months ago I read the biography of Nadia Boulanger. Oh, um, yeah. Who was uh, the probably the, the greatest teacher of musicians of the 20th century. I mean, really. Um, the the listing of the you know all the famous composers of the 20th century that all studied with her is unbelievable. Um, you know even people you wouldn't expect like Quincy Jones. Um, really? Yeah, Quincy that that Quincy Jones studied with Nadia wow. Boulanger. Um, so uh, you know reading about her pursuit of this prize, you know when she was a student, it was just it's just a giant deal, and it really. Um, determined if you're going to be successful or not. You know, if you had aspirations to be a composer and you did not take first prize in the Prix de Rome, you probably weren't going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was that important. Um, so everything was looking good, you know, in, in his early life. Uh, but when he emerged from this Prix de Rome and living, you know, living it up in Italy at the at the Villa Medici, you know, and this, this big palace, and um, he came out and was largely ignored. You know, he he tried several times to get his career started by writing orchestral musics and musics, music and uh, opera (laughs) (laughs) and uh, uh, chamber works, et cetera, et cetera. And these were summarily ignored. Um, He was uh, really, really struggling until he got this commission to write the opera Carmen. Um, And even then, it was just this incredible struggle just to just to get it written to say nothing of getting it produced and uh, staged. So, uh, yeah, you know, starting with the recording, what do you think of this um, 
depiction of Carmen by Victoria de los Angeles? I, th- I think it's a beautiful depiction because she is, she's a soprano, first of all. And the role is written for a mezzo. And quite right with good reason, because you think of this earthy, gorgeous, sexual, freedom-loving, really the first feminist in opera, and you sort of want to hear this this deep, resonating, warm sound come out of the gypsy, right? So it's very natural that Bizet would select a mezzo-soprano to sing it. But you often hear, I don't know how often, but every now and then a soprano has her hand at, at, at Carmen. And Victoria de los Angeles is just a beautiful sounding Carmen because her soprano voice in this recording has a warmth and a lushness to it that is really required for the role and really defines the temperament of the character, um, which is quite a multifaceted character. So I I just, I love her singing of it. I love how she manages, let's say the habanera, the first aria. It's it's warm, it's seductive, it's playful. You have to, you have to really want to love Carmen. You can't, you can't just come out and be this, this sort of man-eating whore of Babylon. That's not what she is. <laughs> and you know, like, that's not what she is. She's, Basically, the most important thing for Carmen is freedom. And so you have to want to you want to love her love of that and the complete and utmost self-respect that she has for herself in choosing this freedom. And and so that the first aria is just beautiful because she comes out and she's showing you who she is. And, And De Los Angeles is doing that. She's showing you this warmth, but this flirtatiousness. Um, and she makes you fall in love with her. So I. I, I, and I also have a really soft spot for Victoria de los Angeles because uh, she sang so much. She was such a hardworking lady in her life, and and her husband basically um, took all her money at the end of it. So she really, yeah, she she had this amazing career, and then you know ended up penniless at the end of it. Um, that I mean, that has nothing to do with Carmen, but she just. She's a terrific artist, essentially, and uh, a, re- a really great artist will bring all those things to light in a character. Yeah, you know that you're right. I mean, that's one of the things you kind of want to hear from this character: the the earthiness in the voice, the the sort of sultry quality in the voice, you know, and a warmth, like you said. And uh, I think it's easy to make the mistake when you listen to this opera, especially coming at it from like the perspective of a dude. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's easy to make the mistake of seeing Carmen as, like you said, you know, this sort of evil, you know, soul sucking succubus sort of <laughs> <laughs> sort of character, you know. But I think what really happens is it's you know, the fall of Don Jose is really his own fault for not being able to accept Carmen, you know, for who yeah. she is. That's a very good point. Exactly, I mean, she's just a very free spirit you know, as, as the traditional opera of Carmen presents, but it was his own obsession with her that, that caused everything to sort of unravel and was like, you know, you know, I I must have you and I must have you this way. And if I can't, then, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah, exactly. Nobody can. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. It's a very, you know, Don Jose, I think is a very kind of old school man. You know, he, he wants to, 
to have like almost like to to own Carmen. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and he wants, he wants to her to be. Her. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he wants her to be like the proper lady and all this stuff, and that's just not her. No, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it basically leads to his downfall, and and unfortunately, you know, her Hers. downfall. Uh, but through really of no, uh, you know, no fault of her own, she's just being herself. You know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that that whole freedom thing. I mean, who she is is so tantalizing to him. Uh, but he can't handle it. He can't. He freedom. You know, people people throw around the word freedom, at, and especially when we're talking in this context uh, about the the life of a freedom loving gypsy. I mean, these people who who roam from place to place and they they don't hold down jobs and they wake up to whatever the day brings them. You know, it's very romantic, but actually a lot of people can't handle freedom like that, you know? And Don Don Jose is one of those people. He can't handle freedom. He needs structure. That's why he's in the army. Right. He's, He's seduced by it, but he can't actually handle it. And the other thing that's important to remember about him is that in the novella, he's, he's already murdered. He's a murderer. So by the time he's okay. arrived there, he's he's killed somebody. I mean, he's he's not a normal guy. So, so he's <laughs> yeah. he's a douchebag. He's, he's a douchebag, basically. He's a douchebag. Yeah, he's <laughs> a criminal. He's yeah. a criminal. Yeah, you know, he's trying to reform himself, but you know, he's yeah. killed someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, so you know, we're we can get a little bit into um, the story because whenever we present an opera, you know, on the show. Uh, we just have to go into the story a little bit, you know, a little bit, a little synopsis. And, yeah. you know, before I start, you know, I have to say, Carmen, she's kind of a badass. Yeah. She's a total badass. You know? Yeah. I mean. In the she, best way. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so interesting, you know, to think about when this opera was written and the other operas that were being produced at this time, their subject matter. And, and this must just have seemed like the... <laughs> The, the most <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. that's, that's a good word it must have yeah. seemed like some kind of stag film or, or right you know it just they must have been shocked by it um and uh i, I just think it's awesome um so but yeah it's it's, it's obviously not going to have the same impact on a modern audience you know uh, but no. I think it's still amazingly after all this time still does have a strong a very strong impact even on today's you know uh, you, you know, jaded, de- desensitized audiences. Exactly. Uh, which is amazing. So in act one, uh, it starts, uh, the scene is uh, in Seville, Spain. Uh, it starts in the town square where there's a cigarette factory. There's, and, and Julie, if I make any mistakes here, please. Oh gosh. Yell and correct me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, there's soldiers standing around um, basically waiting for the uh, factory workers the girls that worked in the factory to come out and uh so they come out carmen comes out and all the soldiers are vying for her attention almost like little kids in class you know raising their hands pick me um so and don jose is sort of off ignoring her right yeah he's Um, the only one ignoring her and so of course because he's ignoring her that's the one that she you know fixates on right um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the the girls go back into work, and Carmen gets into a fight with another girl, right? Yeah. And she slashes her face with a knife. Yeah. Man, she's a badass. And she's uh, badass. yeah. So 
she's she's arrested and she's being guarded by Don Jose. Uh, she seduces him basically um, into releasing her, into you know untying her bonds. And uh, when he does this, she kind of mocks him and, and and kind of takes off. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she 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 seduces him, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't take much, right? Because he he already knows he wants her. He's just putting on a brave face in the square. But by the time he's got her tied up, which is essentially for that in that era, this is a bondage scene. Like he's tying <laughs> her up, right? And she's typically playing it where she's grabbing the hem of her skirt with her teeth to raise it so he can see her legs. And there's all this, there's all this yeah. stuff Who, going on, you know, who, who's you know, really she, tied up. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's, I mean, that's it. And so this is where he falls completely head over heels and she promises him that she will deliver because he helped right, her. Right. He, he, he goes to jail for a couple months for her. It's not only that he takes the rap, but he he gets locked up because he lets her go. And I, the only thing that keeps him going that whole time is knowing that he's going to see her again. So he falls head over heels in love. And I think she thinks he's cute and she realizes what it, he sacrificed for her. So she's ready to deliver. And I think in a way she sort of falls for him a little bit too. I don't, I don't think she's as cold hearted. Um, uh, you know, you did this for me. Well, then I'll, I'll shag you for it. I think there's a little bit of her that, that likes him. And I think she's afraid to, to fall because that would mean compromising her freedom. So there are a lot of really complex layers happening. Right, right. Yeah. I think you're right about that. She really does have feelings for him, but you know, Carmen, the character of Carmen, she lives so in the moment, you know, in, right. not, not in the past and not in the future. She just lives for right, right now. Now, exactly. And uh, that's, you know, the whole one, one of the big reasons why it doesn't work between them, because then later on, you know, she's into this other dude and it, it's right now. You know, it's all about right now, you know. For exactly. Her, um, and so this is going to lead us into our first excerpt that we're going to play, because the first track that we're going to play is this scene where she's. Uh, seducing him, trying to get him to let her go. Right. And this track, um, you know, you've obviously performed this many times. Um, mm-hmm. So from the, I don't know, how is how is this for you? You know, as it falls in the opera and you performing this, you know, from inside the character of Carmen, I mean, how is this scene for you? This is a, this is one of my favorite scenes because because you're tied up on stage, you really are. And so, and it, it, generally, the last one I did, they put me in handcuffs. Wow. <laughs> I know, so there wasn't a rope, they, they actually cuffed my hands. And if you, you know, if you can picture handcuffs, there's sort of a little bit of a give, it's like about a half a foot between the, the two, the two uh, the, what, what do you call it? The things that clamp over your wrists. Yeah. And then there's a tiny little chain. So that, that, that holds them together. And so I, the whole thing was about, I really could not move at all. And I had to sort of put my arms around the tenor being handcuffed. And so this whole scene is one of the quieter moments on top of it. Because when you're trying to seduce someone, 
you're not usually making a big uh, a big stink about it. Like it's it's usually something that's quiet and it's subtle, and it sort of is wiggling its way into your. You're trying to wiggle your way in, right? So you don't go in all pots and pans, banging pots and pans. And so I love this scene because it forces you to sit still, and it forces you to sing with a line and a beauty that is required of the seduction. And eventually when he lets you go, it's such a victory because your body has been constrained the whole time. And so when that happens, the other thing that happens is that there's this total like hardcore focus because you're not moving. It's all in your voice. You have to do everything with your voice, no matter what you, the, the little small things that you're doing on the side with the with the skirt and all that junk. It, it doesn't matter. You're still so constrained. And then when he lets you go, ah, when he does let you go, Bizet has written actually in the score and ah, oh, like it's a ha ha ha. It's a very quiet ah. Oh, he let me go. You're basically swinging the rope, you know. And then it's sort of a barn burning, foot stomping thing at the end. So it's just a tremendous play of being at play in seduction. Hmm. Right, right. And I think yeah. that's that's fascinating what you say because you know obviously you're acting a role, you're acting the scene, but in a sense, like you said you really are restrained. And I'm sure yeah. in actuality, you really want to get out of those restraints. <laughs> so so in, in a sense, you know, you're singing for your own freedom, not just figuratively, in, you know, in this sense of playing a role, in, in reality, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Get this off of me <laughs> right. now, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, let's check this out. Uh, this excerpt from Bisset's Carmen and you are going to totally laugh at me. They would never hire me at the CBC because I cannot pronounce French. I don't know why. <laughs> it's um, okay. <laughs> Do it in English. Do it in English. Uh, I don't have the English translation. Oh, okay. I, I just have the the French. I don't. Do you want to introduce you, this? Go. Okay. Go for it. You go for it. I'll correct you. Okay. Is that bad? <laughs> no. I'm gonna go okay. for it. <laughs> It'll be fun. Okay. Sig. Oh God. <laughs> Segadie, Segadie, yes, perfect. And duo, uh, Pre des Ramparts de Seville. Pre des Ramparts de Seville. Perfect. You weren't that bad. Oh, oh perfect. Yes. I, I, was, <laughs> I sounded just like you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't that bad. Here it is. <laughs> All right. Oh, 
just heard uh say it again <laughs> yes also known as the quesadilla no but yeah. the quesadilla yeah <laughs> right from uh Bizet's carmen and uh so we're going to move on to the story so that that pretty much concludes act one yes um, there and uh, then we move in to this uh story uh I don't know how, how really to describe it, but almost like a sort of pirate abduction <laughs> kind of thing. They're not really pirates, but sort of. Uh, but, you know, during this, you know, the interim between Act 1 and 2, Don Jose, you know, he's in jail. And uh, he's, you know, all the while um, saving his love, right, for Carmen. Yes. Um, and uh, he he is released from jail at the beginning of Act 2. Um Carmen, you know, pr- professes her love for him. Um, and, and basically what she tries to do is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically what she tries to do is get him to abandon his military career. You know, basically say, yeah, if, if you, if you really love me, you'll abandon this life and adopt my life basically. Uh, because, you know, again, it comes down to Carmen is Carmen and, you know, if you're going to be with Carmen, you got to accept who she is. And I mean, Carmen could never live Change in nature. Yeah. Yeah. She could never live a, a sort of military regimented life like Don Jose has. That's not an option. Oh, God. She yeah. would die. Yeah. But the the problem with this scene is that the thing that 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 puts her there, getting him to try and come and join the gypsy smuggler's is that she she's in she's in the pub. And she hears that he's been released, right? And she is excited about it. She knows he's coming to get her. And he shows up. He's all, you know, breathless. And he's been singing a song on the way in. I mean, the guy is looking forward to seeing his woman, right? After essentially being imprisoned, well, emotionally at war for months. He shows up. And she starts to seduce him. She pulls out all the stops. She brings out the candy, the oranges, all, you know, it's a celebration for her. And she wants to do it. 
And then he hears the call of the trumpet calling him back to the barracks. And he basically stops her in the middle of this seduction, which just floors her, right? She cannot she cannot believe yeah. that after all this time, he's here and he hears the call and he's just going to take off. Like, it's pretty much interrupt us. Yeah, yeah. Huge. It's huge. And so she just flips out and says, what the hell do you think you're doing? I did this. I did that. You go, you little, you know, pansy. Go. Go back to the barracks, basically, <laughs> is what she what she says to him. And then he breaks into this huge love song. Like, what do you mean? If I love, like, essentially what he's trying to tell her is, I love you. Just because I'm, I'm being called back to duty doesn't, doesn't, I'll be back, you know? And she, no, no, she's not having it. Because he's essentially humiliated her in the middle of this seduction right, by, right. by saying the yes to go. So when he, sing, he sings this big aria and professes this love to her, and it's a huge moment for him. And at the end of it, she says, no, you don't. You don't love me. No, you don't, right? And, and he just, and this is when she tries to turn the tables on him. And she says, if you did love me, you wouldn't go back there. You would join us now. And, and he, he, he does it. He does it for her because another commanding officer comes in and tells him to get out. And he says, no. And it just, it's this huge, big, complicated, sticky mess. So that's, where that impulse comes from her to tell him to join them. It's because he, he's humiliated her in her seduction. And, uh, and eventually he does. And that's where it all goes south. Yeah. She right. Doesn't, she, she doesn't want him anymore, but she wanted to stick it to him. Right, right, right. And then, <sighs> then what happens is, um, well, I guess the, uh, commanding officer comes in, they draw swords, but yeah. they're kind of interrupted by the smugglers, right? Yes. So the smugglers sort of disarm them, take the superior officer as a hostage, yes. basically. And Don Jose really has no choice. That's right. But to but to follow Carmen and these smugglers, you know, on their task of basically unloading their contraband that they've they've got, right? Exactly. Um, so that's that's Act Two, and uh, is there anything else you want to add about Act Two? No, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that the, the reason that Don Jose gets in a fight with the other with the commanding officer is because he knows that if the commanding officer sends him away, that he and Carmen are going to hook up. He knows it. So Don Jose wants to stay in the same room as her because he knows the second he gets sent off, Zuniga and, and Carmen are going to get it on. So this <laughs> is, you know, at one point she says, to hell with the jealous one, to hell with the jealous one, which is the exact line. And that's when she summons the gypsies to come in. They take Zuniga hostage and, and that's Don Jose's force. So she's in control the whole damn time. It's spectacular. Yeah. Yes. But that, well, yeah. yeah. It, it, she's once again, she's a badass. Yeah. 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 And that's <laughs> yeah. it. Basically they, yeah, you're right. They end the scene with uh, Don Jose and Carmen basically just, this is it. They're together and away they go into the mountains. Act three. Woo. Right. So yeah, act three, yeah. They're, they're, they're in the mountains. Um, the smugglers are uh, again, trying to, to get rid of their, their stuff. Uh, they have Don Jose guarding the stuff. Um, yeah. In this point, Carmen, uh, 
is pretty vocal about just being sick of Don Jose. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's just sort of thrown in his face, just like, you know, you're, you're yesterday. I'm sick of you, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, her future love interest comes into the scene. Escamillo. Right. Mm-hmm. So this, oh, yes. is, this is the, uh, the bullfighter from Seville. Um, and, uh, he uh, apparently confides his love for Carmen to Don Jose, not realizing who Don Jose is. <laughs> Right. Exactly. And Don Jose gets, you know, <laughs> you know, he gets all pissed off and um, he challenge challenges Escamillo to a duel. Escamillo basically makes quick work with of him, I think, kind of mockingly. So. Um, yes. And. Uh, you know, uh, after this, well, then then what happens is something like uh, Escamillo, they fight again and his knife breaks. Right. Well, they, they, they fight and Don Jose gets the better of him. So he's, he, he bests him and he's just about to strike when again, Carmen comes in okay, and goes, hola, hola. Hey, what are you doing? And she saves the situation. <laughs> so again, here she is being the badass and she saves the situation Jose is in a furious, jealous rage. The Toreador is keeping, has retained his elegance and his composure. And he says, oh, look who it is who's saving my life. It's you, the love of my life. And so he makes this huge display about uh, inviting everyone to the bullfight. And he, you know, he condescends to, he's very condescending in nature to Jose by saying, you know, my friend, you, you, you need to calm down. I mean, there's nothing that, that nothing that makes you more angry than someone telling you you need to calm down, right? You need to calm down there, bud. And then he and he basically ends by saying, "Anyone who loves me will come to the bullfight." And then he turns to Carmen and says, "If you love me, you'll come to the bullfight." And he kisses her hand, and it's this whole design to make Jose jealous again because Carmen plays that up as well. She plays into to the Toreador's affection in that scene. And after the Toreador leaves, Jose just busts a gasket. He just loses <laughs> right. his mind, right? He says, "You be careful, Missy, because I am. I you are you are making me this this pain and this jealous rage. It's exhausting me, you know. And you know when you've reached that point of exhaustion, you 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 lose your humanity. And that's what he's trying to tell her that don't don't push me this far because." bad things are going to happen, which they eventually do. And then he goes on to attack her in the scene and, and it's, uh, it's, it's not a good scene. So at this point, you know, they need to be separated and it's over. It's ended badly and it's over. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's basically the end of act three. Act four comes about, uh, at the bullfight. Yes. And, uh, at this point, you know, Carmen and Escamillo are together, right? They're, yes. they're like an item at this point. Yes. Uh, you, you, you know, depending on how some directors play, you know, there's um, Carmen and, and, and her two gypsy best friends show up in beautiful gowns. And it's assumed that Escamillo has given her the money for that. I mean, he's dressed her up. He's made her gorgeous um, in order for her to attend this bullfight. And she knows she's there for him. And she, he come, he makes this big grand entrance and she's, his lady at this, this fight. And he says, if you love me, 
you know, here I am and I'm going to win this bullfight for you. And uh, he says, if I win this bullfight, maybe, maybe you'll be proud of me after. And she, she says, we oui, je t'aime. It's the only time we ever hear Carmen professing love for someone. She says, yes, I love you too. Go fight the good fight and I'll see you after. And that's when all hell breaks loose and Jose turns up like a maniac. Right, exactly. So he's in the crowd yeah. like some crazy stalker, right? Yeah, and, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's animal at this point. Yeah. yeah, and he confronts her, you know, as she's trying to enter the uh, the ring, I guess, and, yeah. and sort of, you know, makes crazy professions of love and take me back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's just basically like, dude, what is your damage? Yeah, get exactly. away from me. <laughs> exactly. And uh he ends up stabbing her. Yeah. Right? Mm. Yeah. It's it's a brutal scene and I think it's 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 people showing themselves at their at their Jose essentially showing himself at his weakest and most animalistic because he's he he's he goes from rage to begging to pleading to i'll do anything you want and just just don't go just don't go just don't go and she's just trying to keep it together because as she's read in act three she's read her her own death in the cards and his as well and so she knows it's coming and the thing the the way I like to play Act Three, and I think it's very uh, Act Four is this this murder scene, and I think it's very crucial, is to show that she knows she's going to die, and what you often see are Carmens that are so stoic in this final scene of their death, and I just don't buy it. I think I think you can be willing to die, but it doesn't mean you're not scared shitless. You know, I, I, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't mean that you're not terrified. And so I, th- I think that this this play between him being the big the animal who's lost all sense of himself and lost control and her trying to maintain the control that clashes and clashes and clashes. And eventually, the more aggressive he gets, I really like to play it that she's getting He's scared. He is. I mean, she's scared of him to begin with, but she starts to show that she's scared as the scene falls deeper and deeper into play. And so that by the end of it, it's like, just kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me already. You know, so there isn't this this sort of stony faced Carmen accepting the knife. And it, again, this is their their last emotional blowout. Um, there's I. There's a a great, the last time I sang this was a great tenor and we we decided that Carmen was going to also have a bit of an emotional breakdown in that scene too. So at one point she says, just kill me already and then starts smacking him like, 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 like she's lost. Like I just, oh, and the guy was so good. He just let me smack him, like really smack him, you know, for real. He said, look at you, you're a little twerp. You're not going to hurt me. Just smack me, you know. So um, she just sort of loses it and starts smacking his face and his body. And then when she sees that he doesn't really have the the courage to do it, she sort of reassumes this strength and then he just busts it and gets her, you know, he in the most cowardly way when she's let down her guard. Right. So it's really a tremendous tremendous piece of human theater 
that ha again has a lot of levels and it's really really wonderful when it's played with all those levels instead of him just being this animal and her being this this unmovable heroic person it's like you must it just be... doesn't work that way in real life yeah no no yeah, yeah. You, you you're must... terrified if someone's putting a knife to your neck, you are terrified. You know, you're not just sort of going, "Yeah, okay, this is an honor killing. Go ahead, kill me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a terrifying thing. Yeah. Go ahead, Tony. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. Well, no, no. I, I was just gonna say, you know, after your description of, um, you know, making these artistic decisions, you know, how to portray these scenes and how to portray these emotions and and these motives and all this stuff. I mean, you must be completely drained after one of these performances. You, you know what the funny thing is, is that you're not initially because it's so exhilarating. It's such um, it's such a high. It's such I mean, it's hard work from stop from top to tail. Right. It's it's just it's it's an exercise not only in physical stamina, but in in concentration. I think the biggest thing is to keep your concentration the whole time is just as demanding. So you are you are, but you're exhilarated and then. Yeah, and then about an hour later, you're you just like pass the tequila and off you go to bed, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it is draining. But if you're doing something well, it's it's just as yeah, it's just as fulfilling. Mm. Yeah, that last scene, and you know, and the whole thing about that too is that as you go on in your career, you learn how to, you know, how far you can go without compromising yourself and. Um, and how to balance all these things. That's why these things take a really long time. Because if you if you start to to perfect or to, you know, not perfect, it's never perfect. But that's why the bet the, the older you are, the better, because you've you've learned how to manage yourself in these really high, highly powered dramatic scenes. Um, and if you have a good tenor, it's 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 even better because he's feeding you too, you know. So yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, if you have a dud for a tenor, that's exhausting. Because <laughs> you're doing everything, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, which I'm sure you've experienced both extremes and everything in between, probably. So. Oh, well, yeah, I have to say I've never really had a, a bad tenor. There have been, been varying degrees of good. But the, yeah, the yeah. last person I sang with was Richard Troxell, who's a world-renowned tenor which was like a, a huge coup for me to be able to sing this with him. And uh, we just, it was, to say that it was a house on fire, I think doesn't really do it justice. We're, we're both love acting, and we both love singing, and we're both courageous. We don't, we don't, we're, we're, we're not afraid to show things that are ugly and things that are private and that kind of stuff on stage. So <laughs> he was really terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, so this brings us to, our final excerpt, you know, this uh, of of the of the final scene, you know, that we're talking about. Yes. And uh, this is. Let's just roll this. Um, this is uh, the basically the, this final scene, uh, this confrontation, final confrontation between uh, Carmen and Don Jose, uh, the duo. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try. Um, <laughs> c'est moi. Yeah. C'est toi. Yeah. C'est moi. C'est toi. Right? Yeah. All right, so let's hear it. Uh, from Bizet's Carmen, C'est moi, c'est toi. C'est toi, c'est moi. L'homme m'avait averti que tu ne t'es pas loin, que tu te fais venir. L'homme m'a 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Tony, I, just for your edit purposes, I think it's c'est toi, c'est moi. I think it's yeah. the other way around. It's c'est toi, c'est moi. Okay, c'est toi, c'est moi. So that's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we just heard c'est toi, c'est moi um, from Bizet's Carmen. And uh, I don't know, any any final thoughts from you on on this, you know, on on, on really the... the uh, the impact that this opera has made, you know, on your life, really, uh, it must be huge. The impact that this opera has made on my life is really huge because I, I think that when, when you really have a feel for a character, I think that it's because you yourself aren't, aren't that far away from that character in real life. Um, I, I have never in the history of my life, which has been about music since as far back as I can remember, um, everyone has always told me, oh my God, you are a Carmen. You are a living, breathing, real life Carmen. And it, it essentially is very true. I mean, I don't, I don't certainly don't have the criminal <laughs> aspect to her in my life, <laughs> but I, I certainly have always felt that 
my personality and the way I am in my personal life is most definitely uh, akin to hers. I've always felt that this character was a real character. I mean, that I think the reason, I mean, Carmen is one of the top five most performed operas in the world, and it's for good reason. I think there is... Oh, there is a recognizability in her and and all the characters that they are utterly human and they're utterly flawed. Mm-hmm. And each character possesses something you wish you had more of or you wish you had less of. Yeah. And there's a relate the relatability of these people portraying these characters on stage. It's 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 something else when you've got operas about gods and goddesses and all that kind of stuff. You don't really feel close to it, but this you can feel close to. And you know, as, as far as it personally impacting me, um, not only is it the perfect thing for me, but I do value a lot of what she values. I've never been married. I, I love men, and which is to say that, you know, I, I have always just had a partner because I wanted to be with that partner. And then when it was over, it was over and I moved on to someone else. Like I was faithful and I was good in that love, but it never really occurred to me to actually give myself over in a, in a way that marriage sort of speaks to me, you know? And, and the only thing I ever dreamed about when I was a kid was not growing up and getting married and having kids. But the thing that I dreamed about, even before I knew Carmen, existed was a thing I just wanted to be free I remember being four and looking out my bedroom window into the nighttime and thinking I just can't wait to grow up and be free and I never even knew what that meant but I remember feeling like that and thinking that and so there are so many attributes that I recognize in this in this character that it's really hard for me not to a fall in love with it and b identify with it um, on, on a, on a, on a real life basis. So every time Carmen gets killed at the end, I find it a real, it's, it's hard. I, I, I'm sad for her because even with all the, the underground stuff, I love her. I love her. And I feel like she is my, my, my sister. And, and when she dies, a personality that big is a big loss. You, you feel the loss in the room when she dies. So, um, because, and I think Mitch spoke to this earlier when you when you said, Mitch, you know, this is about a guy who basically can't, Don Jose, who can't, he's like a stalker. He can't get a hold of his feelings and he eventually murders her. I mean, that that is a story that, that still plays out today, right, in the yeah. news. So, I mean, yeah. the, these, are, these are at the risk of sounding cliched. I mean, these are sort of universal um, trends in, just being alive on the planet. I mean, this is just, this is shit that happens. And yeah. and Carmen is, it speaks to all of that. It's not a fantasy. So, so, so there's so many things at play there, you know, and then just vocally, it just fits like a glove. And temperamentally, I mean, temperamentally, it goes with the personality of the character. And uh, I, I feel like I'm a kinder, more human, gentler Carmen than um, than you do you do see sometimes played because I, I think it's more of a tragedy if you love her even in if you love her at the end still yeah well yeah I mean like yeah. I said at the very beginning of when we talked to you you know you're, not, you're like a nice Carmen <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not you know I'm I'm 
I'm a Carmen of, I understand that, you know, maybe a little bit of smuggling is what I do, what I need to do to get by, but, you know, but that's not so bad. I never killed anybody. (laughs) She's never killed anyone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Awesome. And, and well, uh, we thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts for coming on and uh, making the show, you know, just extra special. It, it was. I, I should be thanking you guys, man. Any chance to come on and talk to old friends about great music is just, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Anytime y'all. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Is there, is there anything that you want to, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to pimp plug anything pimp or plug? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I can, I can, let me plug, um, that I do. I actually produce Carmen as dinner theater in Ottawa. Uh, so I, it's the full, it's the full deal. It's the full meal deal. I've just taken out some of the comic bits and it. So it makes it a little bit darker and a little bit sexier. Um, but, uh, it's, it's my baby and, uh, it's called Carmen on tap. If you ever want to just check it out, there's a nice little YouTube reel of it, a little sizzle reel of it. But, uh, if you're ever in Ottawa and you want to come see a nice uh, boutique opera and have a little dinner, it's casual, it's inexpensive, and you get some really first-rate singers, and you get to see Carmen in jeans. And, you know, <laughs> nice. Go out for a smoke after your meal if you want to, or you know, a, a really, it's really an attempt to to take the the high culture out of it because you know. Yeah, that that's a good good point that you just made when you were you were talking about the the way people can still relate to the things going on uh, between the characters in, in the opera. Even now the book even speaks on that, where it uses the word pomposity. Yes. Which I, I looked at that where I was like, okay, what, what does that even mean? I mean, just, you know, the, the taking out of all the high mindedness and the complicated nature of, of, of what opera can be and, and making it to where, you know, people can, oh yeah, I, I can relate to that. That's yeah. And, and it's in the nature of men and women, you know, over the, you know, centuries, you know, it really hasn't changed much. No, we haven't changed at all. You know, <laughs> people, people, you know, people want to eat good food. They want to drink, they want to have a good time and they want stuff that moves them. So I was like, you know what, we're doing this in this pub. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be cheap. I'm going to get the hottest singers I can. And it, it is just it is just selling like hotcakes. It's unbelievable, you know, because I'm I'm not a snob. I I'm the kid of, you know, middle class immigrants. I never grew up with classical music. It was something that I just truly dug. And I dig a lot of other stuff, too, you know, and I just thought, you know, enough of this nonsense of, of you know, putting the high prices in and and barring this access access it doesn't have to be that way because this is dirty it's gritty it's hot it's funny you know and what else is there (laughs) yeah Yeah. what else is there you know yeah exactly at the end of the day in this life you know you got food and you got music and you got your family and what maybe the sun shines every now and then and that's good especially in february in ottawa yeah (laughs) well yeah and i think that's one reason why you know we got along so well you know we both lived in bloomington because i think we both sort of have this same attitude toward classical music you know exactly Um, and we both kind of come from uh similar backgrounds you know not non-classical backgrounds and um uh yeah i mean i i totally agree with you and i think it's awesome what you're doing uh with carmen I, i hope 
that uh that we both mitch and i you know get to see it at some definitely. point definitely um, oh man definitely. you guys ever in ottawa for carmen on tap you're you know you're my guests of course oh my gosh it's not it's not an issue <laughs> and i just love to be in the same room with you for for a little while you know oh, that'd be great. be great and when when can we hear you on the cbc um you can hear me weekdays from nine to one on cbc radio two and you can get it online. You can stream it online. Uh, and the show is called Tempo. So nine to one, uh, it, it sort of gets staggered across the country like that. Um, awesome. That's it. Yeah. All right, everybody. Check it out. If you live in Canada, especially if you live in Ottawa, um, go to Carmen on Tap. For God's sake, <laughs> go to Carmen yeah. on Tap. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, All right. Well, thank you so much, Julie. And um, yeah, have a great one. Thank you, guys, eh? Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Nice Take talking care. with you. We'll talk to you soon. And that is going to do it for All the Cool Parts, number 36. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Twitter slash Anthony Landman. You can uh, go to our website and look at the show notes at soundnotion.tv slash ACP. You can email us at allthecoolparts at gmail.com. And you can join us on Facebook at our Facebook page where we post stuff and you can post stuff and we can talk to each other. (laughs) Um, And that's going to do it for this episode. We will see you next time for all the cool parts 37. Later.